0: The reality often is when it comes to Christmas that we get carried away with this stress and, and, and the busyness of what Christmas has become by the very nature of the secular world and the machine that works around and pumps all this stuff into us. It's, it's become something it was never meant to be. Let me, let me put it like that. But we get caught up in it, don't we? We get caught up in it. We get caught up in getting everything ready, even the wrapping. Who likes wrapping Christmas presents? The world is full of all sorts of people. That's all I'll say. To me, that is torture. It is torture. Hurts my back, hurts my head, hurts my happiness, everything. But there's some people that love it, isn't it? But for some of us it can be stressful. For some it can be buying the presents. For some it can be thinking about the person that they're buying the presents for. That can be the stress because we know that there are people that are terrible present receivers. Did anybody know anybody like that? (laughs) That no matter what you buy them, it's not what they wanted. (laughs) My grandmother... He's passed away. He's, uh, used to ask, did, I, did you keep the receipt? <laughs> Not a good present receiver. Not a good present receiver. But we can't card writing, you know, the the Christmas dinners, the occasions, meeting up with friends, you know, church life, the things that we've got on in the church, and, you know, it can be pantomimes and plays and whatever. All these sorts of things are in this big melting pot that we call the Christmas season. And what happens to us is that we get dragged into this, and instead of being a, a season of celebration and joy, and I say season Not just one day. You know, we may get to Christmas Day and we may relax a little, but I'm talking about the whole season. It becomes one of stress. And it doesn't do anything for our soul. And our body, soul, and spirit are interconnected. They are three in one. It's a Trinitarian aspect. What do I mean by that? It means one affects the other. So if you're tired, you're aching, your body's breaking down and you're hurting that can have an impact on your spiritual life. And your spiritual life can have an impact on your physical life. Body, soul, and spirit, all interconnected. We call this in theology a psychosomatic unity. It means that it's all in play. Very Trinitarian in its kind of aspect, if you like. So what I want to do this morning is simply lay out four things to try and reset us before we go into this Christmas season that we're all entering into, that will help us keep Christmas focus. Because it is important what we're focusing on this season. And what we focus on this season will help us in everything else that's going on around us. Warren Wiersbe said this, I think I've shared it before, that that in this life there are two types of people certainly talking within the Christian body. There are those that are thermometers and there are those that are thermostats. Do you know the difference between a thermostat A thermostat and a thermometer. thermostat sets the temperature. The other one, the thermometer, what? Reads the temperature. It reacts. One sets, one reacts. So as believers, what are we going to be in the world? Are we going to be those that set the temperature by our disposition and the joy that lives within us and the way we come about Christmas? Or are we going to be, like everybody else, the thermometer is just reacting to what's going on and going up and down, up and down, and up and down? We want to be thermostats. We want to set the temperature when we go into the world and we're around our friends, family, and even within the body of Christ. So there's four things that I want to look at. Here's the first one. Simply this. I mean, this is, this is, this is not rocket science, folks. Thankfully, so I'm able to deliver it. Remember the reason remember the reason get back to basics get the what the world shows you put it to one side get into the word of God and remember the reason for the season we say that all the time it's a little bit cheesy but it's so true let's remember it's the first thing number one what happened the birth of Christ. That's what we're remembering. Now, let's not get into the debate about when Christ was born. If you know your Bible, you know it was not Christmas Day. We know that, right? Yeah. But why get into the debate about that? Because it's not as important of when he came, it's that he came. So let's not lose our minds over this. And some Christians can't. They can die on a hill of the date of Christ's birth. That is not a hill to die on. There are hills to die on in the Christian faith, let me tell you. Some Christians need to find a few hills, other Christians need to get rid of a few hills. And the date of the birth is not a hill to die on. Now, it, it's worthy to debate somebody and say it's a good way of getting into talking about Christ when they're talking about oh I love Christmas day and you know, it, you know I know that that's Jesus' birth and you say well do you know, did you actually know that the Bible probably tells a little different story it's a good way in but it's not something to die over Christmas trees Christmas trees there are people that are maybe watching this stream now maybe you're even new so if I'm going to offend you I'm not that sorry <laughs> they're going to lose their mind see that's an idol that's a pagan idol. Now we can get into the, 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 the looking at this biblically. But here's the thing. What makes an idol? What was that? You worship it. Does the, idol, does the idol have any power? No. No. So I can lift this chair beside Jason, put it there, and it'll just be a chair. If I stood in front of a live audience in front of the church this morning and got down on my knees and started worshiping that and revering it, what does it become? An idol. An idol. It's just a chair. This is just a decoration. I'm not worshiping this tree. Don't care for it. Don't love it. Don't need it. Don't worship it. Don't give it reverence. It's just a tree. So why then do we lose our mind and fight over trees? I mean, is, honestly, is the Lord going to look down and look down at the believer who is tearing another believer to shreds because they've got a Christmas tree in their, uh, in their house and say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You're fighting the battle for a plastic tree. No, no. Now you can have your own personal opinion. That's fine. It's fine. But what I'm saying is, the reason for the season is not to go and fight people over Christmas trees. That's what I'm saying. Let's not get into these silly debates. What is the reason for the season? What happened? What are we remembering that happened? The incarnation. God put on flesh. The greatest thing outside of the death of Christ, for us as believers, was the birth of Christ. Incarnation. That's what happened and that's what we should remember. Turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter number 1. Verse 23. Familiar, but again, this is what we want to do. We want to stick to the familiar. We want to get back to the things that keep our minds upon Christ. That's why it's good to go through and read these this Christmas season and remember that Christ was born on this earth to live a life so that he could go to the cross that he could die, that he could take the sin of the world so that you individually you could have a relationship with him and have a home in heaven and he would have came to earth if you were the only human being on earth. Now that's a hypothetical argument obviously because you're the only human being on earth it really wouldn't have made, made sense that how you got there but Anyway, it doesn't matter about that. The point is, he would have came for you alone. That's how much he loves us. Matthew 1 verse 23, The virgin shall be with child, give birth to a son. And again, we say these words so flippantly, but the theology in there, I want you to truly understand that. This is the virgin birth, that the sin nature was not inherited Remember, sin came in through Adam, by Adam passed on to every man and generation and generation and generation until it was broken. And the only way it could be broken was by the supernatural intervention of God as he stepped into time. And then it says, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Wow. God with us. Us. how much is in that this morning this is the counter to the argument where humanity will stand and shake their fist at God and say you don't know what it's like to be me you don't know what it's like to live on this earth in the conditions that are upon this earth if you're God then this you've allowed this fall to happen you've stood over it and sin is in the world you don't know what it's like and you're heavenly throne to be on this earth that's the classic argument isn't it where we throw at people that want to talk to us about anything in life well have you been through it and if you haven't been through it you can't really speak to me about it you don't know what it's like to walk in my shoes we say that all the time it's the classic one as a parent if somebody without children wants to give you advice and tell you how to parent better in your mind you're going you don't really know. You ever had children? You don't know. Claire, as a social worker, used to get that in her early days when she went out. You know, thrown at people. The first argument they would say when she would go into the houses and have to deal with people that were were were, were letting their kids down. The first argument was thrown is, "Do you have children?" Now Claire was able to say because she just qualified and had her kid, and yes, I do. And then that changes things a little bit. But this God with us. You know, why did God come? Live a life as a carpenter's son? You know, thirty years of it. Just living life in a community. Why did he do that? Could he have came as a fully fed adult and went to the cross? Possibly. So yes, the perfect life of doing right and never doing wrong. There's that to it. But also so that the Lord could be one that was touched with our afflictions. He knows what it's like to lose, to love, to be mocked, to be persecuted. So that we can never level the argument at him, you don't know what it's like. That God with us. So much in it. That he knows. He knows. For those that don't believe the Bible, you know the rationalness amongst us. Or those that are listening. That they can't get their head around Christianity. Because they can't get to the point where the resurrection happened. Dead cannot come to life. This is rational thinking. This goes back to, to Greek thought and how it's influenced theology. This is very interesting stuff if you ever go and look at it. How, how theology in the East and the West has been influenced by the Greek thinkers, uh, Plato and Aristotle and how these things make their, their way and how rationalism and individualism comes after the in, enlightenment and you have this great movement of you have to break everything down and, and, and see it in this step that you know, the dead can come to life. No, 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 I'm out. That's why it is a faith-based position. It's an educated faith that we have. But we don't look to the natural to explain this. It's the supernatural. This is God and God alone. Only God can do this. Only God can have a virgin to give birth. That's only God that can do that. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And that's the very point of it. This has nothing to do with man. This is God's program, this is God's intervention, and that's what we're to remember. That's what happened. God stepped into human time. That's what we need to remember. That's the what. And then we have to remember why it happened. And, of course, we go to John 3.16. It's a great verse that we, uh, we, we reel out as Christians. We know we should also know it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, picture and, and, and declaration of the gospel. But why did the gospel happen? Why did Christ step forth into humanity, put on flesh, walk and live a perfect life? We know the what, but the why... I can explain the what all day long. Here's what I struggle to explain. The why. Now I can tell you theologically, but understanding why he did that, I I still have a hard time with that. If you don't have a hard time with that, you don't know who you are and who God is. Because that God would do this, Romans 5.8 tells us, God commendeth He literally demonstrated in the sending forth of his son that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I cannot get, because I know who I am. I'm a wretched, filthy sinner with a heart of wickedness. And yet, God would still do that for me if you think as a Christian you've got a handle on the depth of that, I don't think you're looking at God enough and yourself enough. Because as a believer the more I know about God and the more I realise about myself, the more miraculous it is that he would do that for me. And when we remember that, when we really think about that, how extravagant God is in his love towards us, because this is really the story of the Father and Him giving, the action is upon Him, not us. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, what am I saying? When we think about Christmas this, this season, before we get to the presents, before we get to the family, before we get to the fellowship, before we get to the mince pies and all the stuff that we love, let's remember the reason and I don't mean in a superficial way I mean really think about it and what that means and what God has done for you as an individual it's mind blowing it's mind blowing that God has saved us and by his strength continues to keep us safe it's amazing how good is he how good is he So we've got to remember the reason. Here's my next point. We need to respond to the opportunities. We need to respond to the opportunities. Christmas is going to bring times that you will have opportunity to witness to others. You can't not at some point have an opportunity to talk to somebody about Christmas and the season and what it means to you. So we get this base of remembering the, the reason for the season. We get this base of remembering what God did and why He did it. And now we remember our mission. And then we respond to the opportunities to witness to others. Um, you know, and that I know understand there are different People, different confidence levels, different abilities and natural giftings when it comes to to witnessing. But we all have opportunity to do a little this Christmas season. Now we have to be in prayer. I am a great believer in God's opportunities as opposed to our created opportunities. Now these things work in tension and tandem. I believe that absolutely. But we have to be in prayer and ask God to give us that opportunity. We have to be in prayer because that keeps us in communion with God. That means when we are out, we're in tune to the Holy Spirit's prompting about when to speak, and the Holy Spirit does speak to us. Absolutely, He does all the time. He's directing our consciousness. We just are we listening? How many people have been in a in a in a room or in a conversation where you felt prompted to say something and you th- about the Lord, about faith, and you're like, oh, and then you go away. You're like, oh, I should have done that. That's the Holy Spirit. And the more we listen, the more we hear Him. But prayer is so important in that. And God will provide the opportunities. And when God provides the opportunities and you respond to them and walk into them, they are amazing. <coughs> They're the, the opportunities that will really bless your soul. Because, you know, I've hands up, I've walked into many opportunities where I've created the door. I've made the door. I've kicked the door in and I've gone about it and it's been absolutely spiritually dead. It's been a work of the flesh. And then I've walked into opportunities where, you know, I've just somebody starts to talk and I'm praying and all of a sudden you're like getting into the deepest theological conversation. Got to have God in this. Now, that doesn't mean that we do the old thing, let go and let God. I hate that. I hate it. We work with God. I don't like the word in partnership with God because that elevates us a little. But we have to get into God's program. You know, He's the head; we're the body. So we've got to respond to the opportunities to witness. Then we've got to respond to the opportunities to worship. You know, church services. What are they there for? You know? What are they there for? Are they there for you to tick a box? Are they there for you to come and worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And who wouldn't want more opportunity to worship God? Who wouldn't want more opportunity to come under the word of God and get our heads out of the world? To sing together corporately? How beautiful is it to sing together? You say, "Well, it doesn't sound like that sometimes, Pastor." When you're singing, but it's beautiful worship, whether you like my tones or not. The Lord hears beautiful worship. There's nothing like corporate worship. There's nothing like it. It's a beautiful thing. You know, when you get to the scenes of heaven, we're doing Revelation, aren't we? Singing, singing, singing. Worship, worship, worship. When you get to a little bit where heaven invades uh, earth, if you want to use that term, what do you get? You get worship. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Read it this morning. Luke chapter 2 and verse 13. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, What's that praising God? It's doxology. What is it? It's worship. It's worship. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Glory in excelsis Deo. It's worship. It's worship. And this Christmas season, it brings times, maybe extra times to come together and worship. Don't miss them, is what I'm saying. Don't miss them. So if we're going to keep Christmas focused this Christmas season, number one, remember the reason. Number two, respond to opportunities. Number three, here we go, reject the pressure. Reject the pressure. What pressure? Number one, to compete against others. What's Christmas become? It's become a race for the greatest toy, the greatest thing. To give your children more presents than what they're seeing on their friends on Facebook. This, this battle, you know, Christmas is the season for that for a lot of people. Why? Because there's pressure. The world puts pressure on you to conform to some standard that it sets. And it's always a standard that has you chasing something and paying a price. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5. Paul also talks about this in Philippians where he says that I've learned to be content. No matter what I have, I've had a lot, I've had a little. I've learned to be content. The writer in Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 5. says, let not your manner of life or your conversation be without covetousness, or sorry, not, let your manner of life be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Here's a little word. Be content. Be content. How many of us here are here this morning and can truly say we're content? It's <laughs> so one little word. Content. But how hard is it to get to that point because of our flesh, our sinful natures, because of the world, because of our circumstance and situation, we always feel like, you know, things aren't fair. We're not missing it. We're not getting what we deserve. You know, we're missing out in this or, you know, you can go ups and downs in this. and It is hard. The writer of Hebrews says, be content with such things as you have. Then he says this. Here's what helps you get to that, that equilibrium point, that center point of being content. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. (laughs) Am I content? Where's my focus? I don't feel content, Lord. But you said, you'll never leave me or forsake me. What more do I need? Could I want? Could I actually have? Than to have these words from the one who spoke everything into creation that holds the world in his hand that we sit here because he wills it and he said he'll be with you individually and he'll never leave you nor forsake you that's the key to contentment because you already have everything but the world does an amazing job of trying to get us to compete for things, trying to get us to think that we don't have enough money to do Christmas well or whatever it may be. You've got to reject that pressure, church. Reject it. Then you've got to reject the pressure to control. For some, that's easy. They don't like that side of things. For others, who can be control freaks by their very nature? Any control freaks in the room? I'm sorry, all pastors have to have a little bit of that, <laughs> but that's something I have to work on, really, really work on, and the Lord works on, but you know that's this 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 wanting to make sure all things fit in the right box. Everything is set in its place, everything's going to go well, and you know I feel like it's not on top of me and getting over me and all that sort of stuff. I mean that's a pressure to control things and you know and You see this at Christmas. You see it rise, don't you? Because, you know, traffic jams increase. uh, You know, the, the road rage and all the other stuff and all the pressures are coming in and people want to control it and they can't control it. So therefore it's making them frustrated and that frustration comes out and on and on it goes. We've got to resist the pressure to compete against others and to control things. We've got to be content. In Christ Jesus. That's the key. In Him. That's our identity. We just have to accept it and rejoice in it, and contentment will come. It will come. And finally, rejoice in your blessings. You've got to reject the pressure, but you've also got to rejoice in your blessings. Firstly, who we have, that's the blessing of family. Now, I understand that Christmas. For some, it's difficult. They may not have any physical family around. They may have dealt with loss. You know, Christmas for me, as a, as a, you know, an, an, a young adult, was miserable because of the loss that I'd suffered and losing my mother. So I understand that. I understand that. So not everybody has the same set of uh, a Christmas circumstance, shall we say. But here's the wonderful thing. You take your physical family aside that if you're part of the body of Christ you have a family beyond measure. Not just in this place but across the world. You have brothers and sisters all over. You have brothers and sisters in here. I lost my mother when I was young. but When I became a Christian here's the truth of it. The Lord gave me many mothers spiritually. That's the blessing of the body of Christ. So you may or may not have physical family. And if you do, rejoice in that blessing of who you have. Absolutely. If you don't, rejoice in what Christ has given you in the church. If this Christmas is lonely for you, come and tell the body of Christ. Speak and say, you know what, I'm alone at Christmas and I don't want to be alone at Christmas. The body of Christ will make sure that you're not alone. That's what we're to do. New Year's Eve. I don't have anywhere to go. I don't want to go. That's why we're coming to the church. Come. Be around your spiritual family. Because here's the thing. Physical family may be for you only for this life. That's a sad fact. Not all of our physical family is saved. But your spiritual family are going to be with you for an eternity. It's the greatness and goodness of God. So rejoice in your blessings of family. Then, rejoice in what you have. Rejoice in provision. Oh, I don't have much, Pastor. You have much more than many. You have much more than many. You know, we sit in this building and and it's it's a blessing. We go home and we're, you know, (laughs) all right, we're not able to put the heat on as we used to, let's be honest. But, I mean, think, I want I you to think about this, church. This whole energy crisis is new for us, right? Yeah. You know, and I know there are people that have had fuel poverty in the past, but generally, as a society, for many of us, it's the first time where we've really had to say, right, the heat is not going on in the morning anymore. We'll save it for the night. That's a new thing. But you can speak to people that have never had that. They've never had the opportunity to just put the heat on when they want. They've lived... Their whole life coming to winter knowing that it's hardship. We've got to rejoice in the blessings we have. It's a blessing to be able to put your heat on at all. It's a blessing. You've got to rejoice in it. You know we sit around at the, our Christmas dinners. Rejoice. We go home and we switch on the kettle to make a cup of tea. Rejoice. Because you don't have to walk Three miles in the snow to get water to bring home to put over a fire and make a choice whether you're going to you know, heat the water or heat the fire or what you're going to do. You don't have to do that. Rejoice in the blessings that you have. as part of the richest 5% or whatever it is in the world today. Rejoice in your blessings. This is this contentment thing. Benjamin Franklin said content makes poor men rich discontent makes rich men poor. That's a word. Content makes poor men rich discontent makes rich men poor. We've got to rejoice in the blessings that we have. Remember the old hymn Count Your Blessings? The third verse of it reads like this when you look at others with their lands and gold, think what that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy. Your reward in heaven, nor your home on high. And then it goes into the course. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. You ever done that? Got a little paper and counted your blessings? You start off, and if you're honest about it and you're really you know, going into it, you, you go for the big things, don't you? They're, they're at the top. But then you start to work your way down, and when you think, start to think about it, you start to add all these little things that maybe you've never even thought about it being a blessing. You know? The air that you breathe, your hearts that beat, everything. Blessings that God has given. There was once a corporate lawyer. You know the type, the hard career driven, career focused, get to the top type. And he comes along and there's a, a pier and there's a fisherman and he's sitting with his two children and he's sitting at the pier and he's hanging the line over and he's trying to catch some crabs for his kids. And, and this career hotshot, this lawyer comes along and he says, why don't you go out and catch more fish? And the fisherman responds and he says, well, I've caught all the fish I need. And then the the, the lawyer says, well, why don't you go and catch more fish? The man responds, well, what would I do with them? And the lawyer says, well, you could earn more money. You could employ more fishermen. You could get a few different boats. And you could grow and grow and grow. And then one day you'd be rich. You'd have a fleet of boats. And the fisherman replied to the lawyer and said, well, what would I do after that? And the lawyer says, well, you could sit down and enjoy your life. And the fisherman simply responds, what do you think I'm doing now? But that's the point. How are we to enjoy our life now? Rejoice in the blessings that you have. Learn to be content with what you have. Don't go chasing what the world's offering. I was in that zone. I was a career man. I was a career man. If you go on my LinkedIn, if, any, if you, anybody know LinkedIn, right? go on my LinkedIn, and you will find me, and you will see that I have put in my little biography, a little, little bit like Facebook for business, left the rat race. Left the rat race. That's when I left work and got into ministry. Got out of it. All was chasing, going round and round and round, Never getting, never enjoying, missing so much. My kids were growing up and I hardly seen them. I was flying everywhere. And then that could take away and I enjoyed the moment. Came into ministry and God gave me tremendous blessing. He didn't pay me as much, I'll, I'll say that. But, but he did give me tremendous blessings to grow up with my children. Rejoice in your blessings. Rejoice in what you have. So, church, what am I saying this morning as we finish? And these are the things that I want want you to take home with you as we keep Christmas focused. Number one, remember the reason. Let's get back to what it's all about. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Number two, let's respond to the opportunities that come about when we make the main thing the main thing. And when we seek the God of the main thing, he will enable the opportunities, which is our main thing in this world today. That's the mission. Thirdly, reject the pressure around this season to compete with others and to control everything and I am speaking to myself there, I really am, and enjoy it. Number four then, rejoice in your blessings. Who you have and what you have. You may be in a place this morning where you think, well, I don't have much. I want you to reframe that and look through that in the biblical lens. Because if you have Jesus, you have everything. If you have the head, you have the body. You have the family, And you have the provider. You have it all this morning. So if we do these things, remember the reason, respond to the opportunities, reject the pressure, rejoice in our blessings, then I think we will have a Christmas season that Christ will be pleased with. And we will be pleased with in the service of the Master and the King. Let's pray.